1: Hello, I'm Mark Matthews, Head of Research Asia, Julius Baer. With me today is Rupan Rajguru, Head of Investment Strategy at Julius Baer India. And just so our readers know, we have an onshore presence in
2: India. Rupan, I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about that. Hello, Mark. Pleasure to be here. And you're absolutely right. India, Julius Baer has decent presence in India onshore. We manage close to $20 billion of assets out here. And we have... First, while a DSP Merrill Lynch in India. So, and we have close to 150 onshore employees. It's a pretty decent setup in India. Sizable operation. Rupin, I remember the
1: last podcast we did on India was back in March. And in fact, I did it with our colleague, Unmesh Kulkarni, who works with you in Mumbai. And we were very bullish about the market. And we talked about COVID a little bit. We had no idea India was just about to get hit by that terrible COVID second wave that happened in April and May. And what surprised me most, and I want to ask you about that, is the strength of the stock market. It fell less than 10% throughout that whole terrible period. And actually, it's 25% higher than before it happened. So why did the
2: stock market hold up so well
1: during that terrible time?
2: It's a pretty interesting question, Mark. And the one line answer to that is the earnings. The corporate sector earnings probably in FY21 in India were one of the best in last four or five years, despite in being in the COVID environment. So that is first reason. Secondly, the liquidity factor in India, so be it the global liquidity as well as a very strong domestic liquidity, helped the market remain resilient. And finally, the sentiment also turned very quickly. So while we had a terrible second wave, but after that April-May period, the cases or the curve flattened significantly and the vaccination drive picked up significantly. So that also improved or aided the overall sentiment. So I would say a combination of very strong corporate earnings, uh, liquidity, global as well as uh, local, and sentiment improvement based on the pickup of the vaccination drive. So that has led to the market uh, momentum. Rupan,
1: obviously, I don't live there, but I speak with people who do, and maybe you can corroborate this. I'm told that the place is going gangbusters. The airports are chock-a-block full, the cities are bustling. There's no sign of any stress. It kind of sounds to me like the environment where you could get a third wave. I hate to say that, and I hope I'm knocking on wood as I speak, but you've got a festive season that's just started too. If there is a third wave, how do you think the market's going to
2: take it? Like it did last time, relatively little impact? Yeah, as they say, you know, humans are social animals. So I think after the restriction were picked up, I think there has been, as you rightly said, you know, a lot of economic activities in which is happening in India. So. Yes, based on uh, the heightened activity and also heightened increased contactability uh, can lead to a third wave. But one factor which is different now versus April is the vaccination. Probably we will be touching a billion uh, doses by end of this month and the kind of vaccination drive has happened. And what we are seeing the impact of vaccination. So now the cases are not as kind of severe as earlier. And just a trivia, you know, yesterday was the first day in which Mumbai, the city where where I live, reported zero death. That is the first instance in last 18 months. So that also shows to say the vaccination helps. So coming back from a market perspective, the impact will not be very high because we don't see the economic impact of if at all there were to be a third way to be pretty high. So in that sense, market should be resilient. Uh, That is what it has been. Rupen, Rupin, you know, I can't help but say that
1: an example of how the economy is doing so well there is that I've been listening to your neighbor renovating his apartment during our conversation. And as much as it's slight distraction, well, I guess it points to a booming
2: economy. Absolutely, Mark. You're right, Mark.
1: Rupin, you mentioned earnings earlier, and I know we're looking for earnings growth over the next three years to be about 25% per year which is a very punchy number. And it's especially punchy because for the last 10 years, the earnings growth was only about 7%. So how do you explain that dramatic turnaround that you go from this really mediocre 7% per year earnings over the last 10 years, and all of a sudden, bang, we're looking at 25% per year on average over the next three years?
2: Sure. So no, as we would call it, this is like comeback of the corporate profits, or rather the Earnings flywheel is now kind of set into motion. A couple of reasons for that, Mark. First and foremost, the corporate profit to GDP ratio in India, which has averaged at around 4.5%, kind of bottomed last year at 1.8%. And in the peak of 2008, that was 8%. So uh, we are like witnessing the lowest margin, and now we are uh, you know, seeing that going up. So that mean reversion also will help the profitability to take up. Secondly, now we are seeing the biggest factor, uh, which will be a swing factor as far as earnings are concerned, are, you know, the profits of financials, which is the largest weight in the index. So that we kind of having, that has gone through an earnings recession, I would say that will pick up because the provisioning is done and the economic recovery uh, will help uh, a very strong earnings momentum there. And finally, all those other positive things which government has done, the government has a reduced taxes, a government is kind of giving impetus to manufacturing. So that will you know, lead to a higher spending of the government, which will also improve the overall profitability. So combination of all these factors, we believe earnings can potentially double in the, you know, four years from now. So that is what we are saying. And so you're so right, we are expecting a pretty strong earnings momentum in India. Mark, I would like to ask you one thing from a A rupee perspective, how do you see? Because rupee has been the uh, drag on performance, especially for the overseas investor. So, how do you view that? Because that's a very important factor uh, for an overseas investor.
1: It is indeed. And actually, the rupees lost about 7% per year over the last decade to the dollar. So, I think there's a short term and a long term answer, Rupin. And the short term answer, if I just say that's, let's call it a one year answer, is it's going to strengthen, we think, to about 72 rupees to the dollar. And it's at about 75 and a half now. So there's a few reasons. The first is that you were mentioning good tax collection. So they're running a much better fiscal deficit than had than been targeted. They're actually running a current account surplus, too, for the first time in 17 years. And it wouldn't surprise us if India gets included in JP Morgan's Global Emerging Market Bond Index. That would result in a lot of inflows. Moody's Investor Service on the 6th of October, I think it was, and upgraded the outlook for India from negative to stable. So that's also helpful. So all of those things, I think, are things that are going to be positive for the currency over the next 12 months. But beyond that, we have to remember that this is an enormous country that is growing quickly, that doesn't have enough resources of its own to provide to its 1.4 billion people. So it should naturally run a current account deficit, which means the currency should gently weaken over time but i think the key word is gently there'll be a lot less currency depreciation and you will more than make up for it in the positive equity performance if we're right that the earnings are going to double in the next four years rupan i know one sector that's been down in the dumps is real estate and i want to get your opinion about that is the real estate cycle turning or is it still looking pretty bad
2: the real estate in india also had its own cycle We had excesses uh, post the global financial crisis, and in last ten years, had probably one of the worst ever cycle. Also, there were certain regulatory changes which are good from a long term perspective, but that impacted the short term performance of the real estate sector. So now, what we believe that all those issues are kind of behind us, and we believe there would be a strong real estate sector in India, and there are a couple of reasons why we think so. First and foremost, the interest rates in India. Right now, the mortgage rates in India are probably at its all-time low. So, that definitely is rather helping to improve the overall sales. Secondly, the inventories in the system also are at a pretty low level. So, that also is a good sign uh, from a demand supply standpoint. Uh, Thirdly, the affordability index. So, that is simply the housing price to the aggregate salary ratio. So, that has kind of come off significantly so the affordability is also improved and to top it up because of the various other regulations which have come through the industries have also gone through a consolidation phase so that is also uh, helping us uh, to get into a a newer stronger cycle in future and finally the sector uh, two kind of factors one is the it sector so it as a sector is a pretty important sector and we believe It's a 150 billion dollar industry, which we believe in next four to five years will be a 250 billion dollar industry. So out of the incremental 100 billion dollars of revenue, roughly 40, 50 billion is the employee cost. And that will be spent on kind of real estate as one of the key spend item there. And finally, the vibrant stock market also historically has been positive from a real estate cycle perspective. That's one point. And finally, real estate as an industry. Is a, while it's one industry, one sector, but it feeds 20 other industries. So it, it helps steel industry, cement, concrete, electricals, paint, home improvement, consumer durables. All fortunes of all these industries are linked to the real estate industry. So that tide will take an, all other industries higher. So we believe the real estate cycle is kind of turning. And a lot of these sectors, which I mentioned, will also be benefited out of. Well, Rupin, you've talked a lot of, about sectors. Let me ask
1: you, if you were to build a portfolio of Indian equities today, actually, I shouldn't say if, because I think that's what you do for your job. What is your sector positioning? What, what are the big overweights and underweights?
2: As I said, the key theme which we are playing is the recovery of earnings. So we like the economy-facing sectors. Essentially, our primary overweight would be financials including financial services like insurance companies, asset management companies. Second is we expect the CapEx recovery to be pretty strong in India. So we also expect an investment cycle in India. And because of the balance sheet of corporate is the best ever we have seen. And also the health of the financial sector is also pretty strong. So that will uh, lead us to a strong investment cycle. So sectors related to that, which is manufacturing, capital goods, industrial and real estate, which I mentioned, we like those sectors as well. Cement also would be included in that. Finally, the consumer discretionary also as a sector uh, should uh, do well. And we have a, a strong or rather overweight position out there. Two sectors, IT and healthcare has done phenomenally well over the last six, seven years. And we are neutral on that sector. While we like the long-term outlook towards those sectors. But at this current price point on valuation, we are neutral on that. And uh, from an underweight positioning Some of the consumer staples, which have are trading at an all-time high valuation. And when the entire economy is doing well, probably that sector will uh, take a breather. So we are underweight on consumer staples. And recently, some of the commodities also, after the significant run-up, we have cut our weight to underweight in those sectors. Mark, I would like to ask a broader question from an outsider looking into India. What are the sectors from a foreign investor perspective you would want to look into in India? I'm going to follow your advice because you know a lot
1: better than me. But since you asked, I'm not going to choose a sector. I'm going to choose a concept. It's something I've been reading about recently. New economy means companies that are intensely innovative. They're using new technologies. And and it can be across a wide space of sectors. You've got online education. You've got fintech. You've got online travel, food and ride-hailing apps, enterprise software, e-commerce. So those are all kinds of sectors that are wrapped into basically the idea that the economy in India is digitalizing. And I'm very interested in this because there's over 800 million internet users in India. And there's been a 20-fold increase in mobile data usage in the last five years alone. But smartphone penetration isn't even at the halfway mark. So I think there's a lot more growth. And I think that it could, in many ways, replicate the new economy story that China had over the last I don't know, 10, 15 years. And unlike in China, where the government is kind of broadly not in favor of encouraging those kind of things anymore that I just talked about, like food and ride-hailing apps and online education, or at least they're much more tightly regulated, it sounds like to me the regulatory environment in India is highly encouraging of this stuff. And I think it's going to be a lot bigger in the stock market in a couple of years' time. And by the way, I mentioned things that have to do with the internet, but electric vehicles, the renewable energy, I just want to say those are two other pockets of the new economy that are really taking off in India too. Great. Well, Rupin, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining me, Rupin. Thanks, Bob. And it's been nice chatting with you and on behalf of Rupin and all our colleagues at Julius Baer, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening and goodbye.
0: You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research.